That's right. Voices of Experience, November 2017. Now you're in for a real treat. Here's my conversation with Rich Gassaway, CSP. We started talking about micro-niching and how having a super specialized business model was the real key to Rich's breakthrough success. And listen in for how the conversation pivoted about love, meaning, and purpose. All right, Rich, talk about the power of the micro niche. So you are in this fabulous niche, and we were talking a moment ago that not only is it a micro niche, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but you're, you've also sliced your topic in such a way that if your topic is on the agenda at a conference in your niche, it's only you. Yeah. And if, if, it's, if, if, if you're not there, that topic is not discussed. Yep. Well, David, thanks for having me on the show. I listen to every episode, and it's just a real honor to be here with you. The, the niche that I speak to is I help first responders improve their high-risk decision-making. And more specifically, my avatar is that person who sits in the right front seat of a fire engine who would be arriving on the scene of a house on fire, and then they have to size up the situation and, and make some very high-risk, high-consequence decisions that is time-compressed with changing conditions in less than two minutes. And I spend eight hours teaching them how to do that two minutes worth of work. So it's a, it's a very specific group. That have a, that has a very specific need, and uh, if you know, if I'm on an airplane, and somebody says, "What do you speak on?" If I start, I don't. I try not to say too much about it because I know that I would bore them to tears because it's not anything that they would necessarily find a value in. So it's a very, very micro niched topic that you know, in any, in any given town, a, a town of uh, say uh, 30,000 residents. There might only be 25 people in that town who would ever come to a class that I would teach. It's been very interesting for me because the, the topic is so narrowly niched that uh, I, I don't uh, see myself really having much competition because, as I said to you in the, in the, uh, before we got started, is there isn't, there isn't anyone out there in the emergency services field who speaks on what I speak on. And uh, if somebody wants that topic, then they, they, they turn to me to, to do that topic for them. So a lot of speakers and consultants and experts, they would be deathly afraid of thin slicing, micro slicing their niche. And especially as you're saying, there's only 25 people in the town, and that means like what one or two decision makers, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's they, sometimes uh, um, some of the attendees at the program will be volunteer firefighters who their full time job is, you know, somewhere else doing something else, and 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 they'll come to me on a break and say, well, my my full time job is uh, I work in a factory. Oh my God, this topic is so important to the people who work and do the kind of work I do in the factory. You got to really, you know, come over and, and do it in the factories. I say, you know what? You take what I taught you today and you run with it and you do it in the factories, or you run with it and you do it for police officers, or you run with it and you do it for train operators or football referees or all these other. Um, suggested audiences for me, and I'm not trying to grow my topic to new audiences. I'm very content with that audience, and I stay in a single lane, and and I don't find any difficulty in saying no. And if somebody says, "Will you do?" No, I won't. I have this lane, and I stay in that lane. And on my blog, I only write to firefighters. My podcast, I only podcast to firefighters. I've written five books only for firefighters. 
I don't try to be something to someone else that I'm that I'm not. So this is about not only owning your mountaintop, which you do clearly, but refusing to leave that mountaintop. Absolutely, I've I've planted my flag and I hug that flagpole and when the wind gets up I hug it tighter so I don't even even be tempted to veer off that and everything I put on social media I mean I just have this avatar in my head of this of this young 30 to 40 year old uh, male or female company officer first line supervisor sitting in the right front seat of that engine and I want to make sure they go home to their family and and I'm not veering off of that because that's too important for me and I, I love the passion and I love the emotion that you're having right now about this. This is awesome. So you've got this very crystal clear topic. Yes. Very, very important. And talk about just how do you spread the word? If there's only one or two decision makers in any given town. Now, obviously, now you're at a level where you do own the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. Let's take us back to when you did not own the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about your PhD research and how that sort of filled the need in the marketplace. And then let's talk about how you start started to get booked. Well, we have to go back about 25 years ago when I went to somebody who was speaking at the conference, fire conferences, and I wasn't, and they were. And I went to him and I said, how do I do what you do? I want to speak at fire conferences. And he said, if you want to be, speak at fire conferences, they have to know who you are. And the way to get to know who you are, again, back then, was start writing in magazines. You start writing in magazines, people get to know your name, then, oh, hey, let's think about this guy coming in to do, to do our conference because we like the stuff that he writes. Now, now, you know, they got websites and you get stuff on websites a lot easier. You could get into magazines because they had to, you know, print it, put it on paper, mail it to you. So there was a cost for that. So it was competitive to get into magazines then. But I was fortunate enough to have some magazines pick me up and start printing me and stuff. So I was doing stuff on uh, training and leadership was most of the stuff. Then 2004, I went back to school, did the PhD work in cognitive neuroscience of high-risk decision-making. That uncovered some things that opened new opportunities for me that I really didn't think that it, I was thinking the PhD was going to be like my retirement job to teach at a college, not that it was really going to pull me in this whole different direction. So then I started putting some proposals in the conferences. They already knew who I was. They knew that I could carry a tune and hold a room, but on different topics. But they they were intrigued that I had this new topic now. And in my first conference, um, was the, the, the program topic was um, high-risk decision-making. Uh, and and course that's you know what we do high-risk decision maybe nobody had ever presented on that topic so when, once I did that one and then it just started word of mouth word of mouth word of mouth word of mouth I do I other than blogging and podcasting I don't do any marketing I don't work with any bureaus I don't have a one sheet I don't have a video I'm almost like the antithesis here I, I don't cold call anyone it's all Referrals. It all just it just comes into me. You spoke here. We want you to speak here. You've done this. We want you to have have you in, and 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 I'm blessed that it all just comes to me. I mean, it was a lot of hard work. It's like you know what's the old saying is you know, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. Uh, it did take it did take me the better part of 20 years, but but now it just comes naturally, and I I definitely use my social media platforms extensively for that social proof. Every time I'm teaching, I'm putting up pictures of where I'm at, sending out thank yous, hey, next week I'm going to be here, hope you'll join me, um, just all kinds of uh, um, 
intertwined messages on uh, two Twitter accounts, two Facebook accounts, and LinkedIn, and always, always focusing on messages three, four, five, six, eight times a day. I'm putting stuff out, content sharing, just trying to stay on the mind of my customer and to carry that proof that um, if, if they need an expert in that topic, there isn't anybody to go to but me. I want that to be on their, I don't want them to be thinking that, not me. It doesn't matter right. if I think that. I want them to be thinking that. So besides all the marketing and all the fabulous content development that you're doing, you said you, you don't do cold calling, you get a lot of referrals and word of mouth, and that's great. How do you build intentional relationships with the decision makers that you would like to work for? Well, in my niche market, if I weren't a firefighter of 30 years, I don't think I could carry that kind of credibility. I have relationships that I've been developing for the course of my entire career. And firefighters, it's truly a brotherhood and a sisterhood. I mean, Dave, when I go to a town to teach a class, they say to me, you're gonna sleep in at the firehouse, aren't you, and run calls with us while you're in town. You know, I don't think too many accountants could go up to another accounting firm, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here, and they say, hey, come on in, we're just making dinner, have a cup of coffee, to, you know, bunk in with us tonight. But that's, that's the fire service, it truly is. We, we know that it, in what we do, that at any given time, we can be taken away so quickly that we, we just become this, this bonded, brotherhood and sisterhood that is 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 just incredible and the good side of that is it it uh, you know it's all truly relationship built the downside of that is that when somebody says we really need to have you in but we can't afford you then i think i've failed because i i i, I got to do something for them to help me with that, I launched an online academy so that they, they could have an affordable, convenient way to get my stuff because they couldn't all just bring me in. And there wasn't enough for me to go around to go everywhere. So I, for the longest time, I never had that plan B if they can't afford plan A. And I just launched that in January of this plan B. So if they can't afford me, and I priced it really low, I'm 22 hours for 49 bucks. I mean, I did it super low so that they could get that training. But this relationship that we have is the, the value of it. Literally, we're here in San Francisco. I could go and knock on a door of any fire station here and say I'm a firefighter from Minnesota, and they're going to say, come on in. You want to look around? You want to ride with us? Or, you know, <laughs> what, what, what can we do for you? I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It truly is. You know what comes across to me is you love your people. I mean, you I really love your people, which is awesome. And, you know, one of my lifetime live withs and why I got into business and I made all these crazy mistakes is, and when I finally got this inner bumper sticker, things really cleared up for me. Do work you love with people you love and for people you love. And that's your story, dude. It is. That's your story. It is. And I, there's a lot of speakers who worry about how they're going to make money. To me, do those things you just said and the money finds you. I don't ever go looking for it. It it finds me, David. And and even in my leanest of times, I say, have faith, Rich. You're part of a community. Sh you know, show your love, show your passion. Be giving, give, 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 give. Content, give it away, give it away, and it it will always come back. And it always comes back. It always comes back. It's incredible. 
This is Donna Cutting. This is Avish Parisher. This is Donna St. Louis. You're listening to Voices of Experience. Do you have an online course? Have you thought about creating an online course? How to integrate your online learning platform into everything else that you're doing in your business? That's what Sylvie DeGiusto shares next. Sylvie, talk to me about e-learning and your online course. So you are an executive image consultant. Exactly. And then let's talk about your offline business and then how this course came to be. And let's start there. Mm-hmm. So my offline business is that on the one side, I'm a speaker, uh, like many of us, and I speak about the power of first impressions. But I also consult people one-on-one and help them with their appearance, their behavior, communication, and digital footprint. And like many of us, at one point, I thought, hmm, what if I don't want to be involved all the time? What if I don't want to be on stage all the time? What if I want to be with my family instead? So I explored which options I have to create online courses. And I have a long history in training and development and e-learning in corporations. So I have created two big online courses in my business. One is a B2 C model where I offer a five-week online course, how you impress, where you can work on your first impression and your visual appearance. And the other one is an online academy where together with a business partner, I certify other image consultants. So talk about how how you're integrating this online model into all the things that you're doing offline. So someone hires you for a keynote, they hire you for a workshop, they hire you to work with their executive team. That online course is always near the front of your mind as far as how you can enhance the value of the package that you're giving them. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it has to be everywhere. You you have to give clients the opportunity to explore that you offer something like an online course. And I think one of the most common mistakes I see and that I also made at the very beginning is when people sell online courses, they think first and foremost, Uh, about their email list. We all have an email list and they think, okay, I'm just going to send out emails and I'm going to sell the course to my email list. But that's just one way to do it. Um, You have to think about your audiences, for example. How can you make sure that every single person in that audience, when you speak for a keynote, knows about your online course? How can you make sure that the meeting planner or the organization you speak for knows about your online course? I have set up different funnels, 12 to be honest, that everywhere, wherever I have a contact point, people, I make sure that they end up in my funnel system and at one point, at different times, I offer uh, a product to them, the online course, and they have a 10-day window to buy it. So let's talk about these funnels, because it sounds like the funnels is where the magic happens. So a funnel is simply a series of steps of communication, emails, links, Exactly, exactly. Ways to seduce people yes, into yes, your yes. world. So let's say I'm a meeting planner mm-hmm. and you and I have a lovely conversation mm-hmm. and I decide to hire you just as a speaker and mm-hmm. I don't know yet about your online course or, or have we talked about it on the phone already? Uh, we have talked about it on the phone. It's in my proposal. It's everywhere. Oh, but okay. usually I, I work for the corporate market, for example, and then usually what I do is I use a polling software during um, my presentations. And part of that polling software and the interaction I have with my audience is that they share their email address with me. And the moment they share their email address with me, they end up in a funnel. But I treat them very respectfully. 
fully in that funnel because I know they are there as a guest of my corporate client, so I cannot immediately sell to them. So what I do first is that they get a series of free videos, additional material, everything they are waiting for after being uh, one of my audience members. And then at one point, I open the shopping cart for them. While if I have another funnel with a lead magnet, for example, where I offer a free ebook to anybody on the internet, there it's more about quantity. I try to get a lot of people into my funnel system and offer them something for free in exchange. Um, and then the steps are different and I open the shopping cart very at a different point for them than for somebody in my audience. All right, so let's, I want to get back to the funnels because I think that's really fascinating. Let's talk about when you're on the phone with the meeting planner, do you sometimes just pre-sell the online course? And you say, well, we're going to have a fabulous event mm -hmm. coming up and I have this program that will really help every attendee with repetition, reinforcement, application, and they will not only learn about what we're teaching them, they will start to be able to implement what we're teaching them. And for that to happen, getting your 500-person audience, each a seat to my online course would cost X. Do you, do you actually try and pre-sell it right there? Absolutely. I give them different options. I say either you can be the person or the company who buys it for them as an additional gift giveaway uh, for the conference, for the event. Or do we have a sponsor, for example, who would be willing to buy it for the audience? Or is there an opportunity that the audience member themselves can buy a course? Fantastic. Now, there are two, always two levels to this course for the executive image consulting? Um, well, so what I do is that I offer it in, in two different um, ways. I have two different products for two different pricing. And honestly, the reason is uh, for that happened to be the result of a very interesting funnel that I have that I call the feedback funnel. So one of the most important emails that I've ever sent out was to people that did not buy my course. And they gave me feedback why they didn't buy the course. And I have learned so much, and I would recommend it to anyone oh. to actually ask, why did you not buy the course? My, my marketing ears are perking up yeah. as we speak. Can you give us a summary of what you learned Absolutely. in that feedback funnel about why they didn't buy? The, the first point was pricing. And I learned that they expect different pricing models. The second one was time. And the third one was my involvement into that course. And so when I put all those feedback that I received, when I put it together, I learned, oh my God, I have to offer it in two ways, because you cannot serve anyone the same thing uh, in the same packaging, right? So I offer it once as a self-study course, and I'm not involved at all. They buy it, and the moment they um, check out in the shopping cart, they get uh, access to the course, and they work through the course for five weeks. The other one is that, of course, more expensive version is where I'm involved, where they can book two one-on-one -on -one sessions with me online. Fantastic. So let's get back to the funnel. You said that when, if I'm in your audience, mm -hmm. I get all these wonderful goodies and downloads. Mm -hmm. And is there a, an app or a system that you recommend for that that you like to use? 
Well, you know, the software, that's just a, a piece that's a tool. And I use different tools to do what I do. And I think what is more important than thinking about the software is how do I treat the different people in my audience in different ways? And there are many, many tools out there that can help you. I have learned that I have to divide them in three groups. And that's actually nothing I came up with. Um, somebody else came up with that naming. But um, the first group is something that um, is called people on the sidewalk. Those are people who explore you somewhere. Might it be on social media, might it be via email, somewhere on the internet. And they have no idea who you are. They have no idea that they actually have a problem. And they have no idea that you are the solution for their problem. The second group are those who are on the slow lane. Those people, they already know a little bit about you. And they already know a little bit that they have a problem, but they don't know yet that you are the solution to their problem. And the last group, those who are on the fast lane, they know they have a problem. They know you can help them. And you can serve them the course in a very different way than the first ones, right? So the first ones, you actually have to educate first that they need you. And the last one, you just plate the course on a beautiful plate like a piece of meat, like food in a restaurant, and they will immediately buy. So you need a software who can handle that. And that's probably not just a regular average email software, because what you do there, you just shoot out emails like from a fire hose on, on all the people with the same information. And I figured out in my business that's not very successful. So this this seduction series, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think it's our mutual friend Scott Oldford, right, that exactly, talks about exactly. the sidewalk and yes. then the slow lane and the fast lane. When you're mapping out your implementation of this system, if I'm in your audience and I've just downloaded all, all these goodies, does the meeting planner or the conference producer know or, or care, frankly, that seven days later, 10 days later, there'll be an offer that's being made? Do you tell them that up front or is that because that's now, now they're coming to your house, mm -hmm, so to mm -hmm, speak, mm -hmm. we're past the conference and how involved or how much permission do you need or do you seek from that meeting planner to say, you know, about 10 days from now, I'm going to offer them my course. Absolutely. It's part of my proposal that I send out and I have laid out the different options that they have and that at one point I'm going to sell to them something. right? And I find you have to treat audience members very respectfully. You are going to lose them if they sit in the audience and you might also use your meeting planner contact or your corporate client if you just sell something to them without announcing it and without negotiating that with, with your client. Have you ever gotten pushback on that part of the contract or do they no, get nervous? No, ne never push pack. But um, I'm just always very relieved that they know about it because I did it the same way at the very beginning. I just thought, wow, th those are my email addresses. I can do with it whatever I want to do. And that's just eth on an ethical and professional level. That's not okay. And, and it hurts your image, doesn't it? Absolutely. It hurts your digital yes, image. Absolutely. See, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. We're putting that together. All right. Couple of closing tips. Anything else that we need to talk about with the funnels and with integrating a digital product into your offline business? Well, just map it out. What, what I do at, at the very, very beginning is really I sat down with a piece of paper and thought, where do I have contact points in my business and how am I going to offer my e-learning product to those contact points in different ways? 
So planning is key. Planning is key and working hard is key because I know that a lot of people have in their mind that this is a passive income source. And that sounds fabulous, I know. And we all dream of living the dream on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean and money is just rolling in. But honestly, the time that you otherwise would spend on the stage, you are going to spend in front of a computer. I am here with John Schwartz. You may know him as Vinny Varelli, and we are talking about spec video, how to use video marketing to get you hired. So, John, fill us in. What is this? How does it work? Well, the term spec pretty much comes from a Hollywood term. People write spec scripts. In Hollywood, there's not really screenwriters who work for studios and crank out movies. Most movie scripts that we see are written on spec under the speculation that someone will buy that script. So I just incorporated that concept to try to get work. Those of you who have seen Steve Napolitan speak at an NSA event know he's got something simple. He says, find your wow client, ask them what they need, and then give it to them. This is a variation of that. You find out who your wow client is, who is the perfect audience for you. We all know people, oh, that would be a perfect fit for me. But I'm having a hard time getting them to say yes. So what I did with this one particular group who was interested in me, but it was an association. You know, in associations, there is a president of the association. There's an executive director. And then there's a board. And it gets complicated. And I was getting a hard time getting to the yes. So I decided to make a promotional video, did research. You've got to do your research on this, go to their website, see when their next meeting is, see if they already have any promotional materials out on that meeting. This one did, it had the president doing a 10 minute video promotion for you need to be there in St. Louis. And just really boring, he's not a professional speaker, he's a professional chef in this case. So we use our expertise to take what they want to say, and that's like asking them, what is it you want? Well, this is why people should come. So Vinny, I got Vinny to do this. Vinny does a, a promotional video for, this is for the American Culinary Federation. Can we mention the name? I guess we, we can. can. Okay. For the American Culinary Federation, I'm in my chef's jacket, and I ordered a chef's jacket with their logo on it. And I'm standing there in my kitchen, and I do a promotional video on why these people need to be in St. Louis for this event. And in the process of doing it, I mentioned the president's name three times. Tom Macrina says, you've got to be there because of this. There's going to be an opportunity for this. All the things he said, but with the energy of Vinny and a little bit of humor. And then a call to action at the end, I'll see you in St. Louis. Boom. And then there's uh, their logo, their information, their website, all that superimposed on the video. I send it not to the president. I send this produced video to the person who I had been speaking to who was my advocate. He wanted, he loved me, wanted to use me, but he was having a hard time getting to yes. Sent it to him. He loved it. He sent it to Tom McCrina, who watched it on his cell phone, and I was hired that afternoon. Wow, I love that. So let's break that down for folks, because I sure. think there's so much gold in what you just shared. Number one, targeting the dream client. 
right. did a great job of that. And then the commitment, the financial commitment, the creative commitment, ordering the chef's coat with their logo on it. Mm -hmm. If this hadn't worked out, you'd be out, what, a hundred bucks, something like that? The coat with that logo was probably around $59. I mean, okay. they have more expensive versions of it. But and if, I, and if it hadn't worked out, I would have just had another chef's coat because I can use a chef's coat anyway for when I'm doing stuff in the kitchen. Right. But I think that the, the audacity and the creativity and the boldness and, you know, they're now seeing someone who's not just a speaker, but who's really committed to doing business with them. It's almost like a, I don't want to get cheesy here, but it's almost like a video love letter is what you said. Oh, exactly. Right? Exactly. So talk about what was the response when you were hired that afternoon? What did the president say to you? What kind of feedback did you get specific to that video? It's funny. The president of the organization was still pretty aloof. He was did, he had so much on his plate. It was his first year as the president. So he was in, just bombarded by so much. He saw me at an event and he said, we're looking forward to having you. And most of my, at that point, once he said yes, I was working with the executive director and with their meeting planner. And I worked closely with them to find out what was going to be. And I was hired as the MC for the whole event. I did two general sessions. They had two days of breakouts and a trade show. And I was there to pull everything together, introduce the next speaker, summarize sometimes what they have just said, and then move things along. It turned out great. It was the perfect fit. And I discovered that not only was I the right fit for this group, I found out that I had a skill set that would be beneficial to other people in the same position, you know, food service companies, uh, food service associations. So let's talk about that because what, what we just laid out brilliantly is the spec video to get you hired at the event. I think you've also done spec video at the event, like with the sausage company, right. to get you possible sponsorship, and you were kind of romancing that sausage company, which don't take that the wrong way, folks, <laughs> but you were romancing the sausage company to possibly leverage that into a corporate client out of that association event, correct? That's correct. So lay that out for us. Well, primarily the main reason for doing it, and a lot of speakers already do this, they offer their clients, should you hire me, I would be willing to do a promotional video. I will reach out. I'll do one or two videos to promote your event. Unlike corporate events, association events survive on who is going to attend. A corporate event is you will be there. So you've got you know a captive audience, so to speak, in a corporate. In associations, they need a draw. They need people to be there. So most NSA people I know are definitely willing, and it's not even an upsell. For some people, it's an upsell. Oh, well, for an extra X number of dollars, I will do a video. A lot of people I know just do it as part of the service value added to anyone who's going to hire you. But the, with the spec video, I did it in advance. But once I'm hired, I'm willing to do other videos on site. A, it gives the meeting planner, wow, this guy was so easy to work with. He would, did everything we asked him to do. But it has the secondary effect of having, well, if I'm standing out front of Johnson, like you say, the sausage company, and promoting how great it is, it leaves you open to other opportunities. 
And then would you would you take that video that you made on the show floor and send it to the president or the VP of marketing of the sausage company and say, hey, just ran into your team at the ACF event and wanted to talk to you about doing more work with you and for you? That would that be the way to do it. Uh, I was a little naive when I was doing them. Generally, what I would do is uh, there was somebody with the company there and I was talking to them, interviewing them. I would send them the copy because they were in it. They said, oh, please send me a copy of that. And so I was just following up. And I, you know, anytime you need me, you know, pass this along to anybody you think needs to see it. I was not as aggressive. And hearing you say that, that's probably what I should have done, is send it to them, yet at the same time, had a great time meeting Bob and Sally at the Food Expo in Atlanta. Here is a little thing I did with them. I hope you enjoy it. And then you can call to action, you know, give me a call if you need anything for any of your upcoming events. I love that. Now, I can already hear some of our listeners saying, oh, my gosh, well, Vinny's a pro with the video. He's got the whole home studio set up. Do you have to have a lot of technology and a lot of equipment to start doing these spec videos? Or kind of what's the basic beginner setup for this? The beginner setup is having a, a good enough camera. You can still even do this with your iPhone if you've got a tripod holding it horizontally instead of vertically because then two-thirds of your video is cut off when you send it to somebody or you post it on YouTube. Oh, let me, if I can go back. When I made the spec video, I put it as a, a private YouTube video, which means they had to have the link to get to it. Unlisted. It was unlisted, unlisted, unlisted not private. Private, you have to actually email the people. The unlisted video, so anyone with that link could watch it. So I sent the link to the advocate, my advocate, and they sent the link, in it, and so it went on. But you don't put it on your public because, and what I do with all those, anytime I do a video for a company, I always leave it unlisted for about three months after. I always check with them. I say, is it okay if I put this in my feed? And they'll usually say, yeah, so then I will incorporate that is as in a playlist of this. These are examples of what Vinny can do to personalize for your event. But I always get the association or company's permission to do that. I love that. So even if even if these video love letters, that's my new nickname for right. them. Even if the video love letters don't necessarily work. Uh, with one particular client, the fact that you did them is now a demo for the next client. Right. So they will get they'll get their own video love letter. But you also say, well, the other ones look sort of like this. Right. So you're developing this library of cool different ways of using spec video. All right, we're here. Another segment of hallways, lobbies, and bars. Michelle, we're in the lobby. We're in the lobby. What are people talking about? What's Everybody the buzz? Everybody keeps talking about this thing called Bomb Bomb, and I have no idea what it is, and I feel very left out, so I want to know. What is Bomb Bomb? Zach, have you heard of this? No, I have no clue what Bomb Bomb is. Jess Todd People tend to like it, yes. But you, a, So what is it? So it's a platform, as we like to say, where <laughs> people can send a video email to other people so they can one to see one. your big mug. One-to-one one personal? Want, yes, one-to-one. One. So then instead of just text on a page, hey, guess what? David just sent you a personal message. And then we can click open it up and we can even answer with a video. So we can do it through our phone. And this blows people away that like you made a video just to talk to them. But how is that different than just recording a video and shooting somebody a link? 
it's faster. Okay. It would take you a while to sit there and you got to record it and then you got to upload it okay. to YouTube and then you got to find the link and you got to do it. So just does it all. Imagine if you and I just had a strategy session, okay. right? Yeah. And so I'm looking to enroll you or invite you, I should uh -huh. say, uh -huh. right? We're, we're using the M Michelle language now and the Zach language. We are, we are inviting you to the program. We just had a call. Half hour after that, I get an email straight from you, personal email, no unsubscribe, no right, nothing, right. personal email. Michelle just made a video for you. Click here to play. Ooh. And you say, David, it was so fantastic speaking with you a few minutes ago. I just wanted to shoot you a quick video to tell you how excited I am about the possibility of working with you. And thank you, number one, for taking the step to enhance your own success by considering our invitation to give us a <laughs> no, lot of money. You don't know though, David, right? is that if somebody's really a fit and they're really committed, they're not going to leave that conversation. Well, of course not. But this is to catch that. <laughs> this is to catch that person that's kind of like 85, 90 okay. percent. But the idea is. You get emails back going, I can't believe you made me a video. Oh, okay. oh my God. So it makes them feel special and it makes them feel um, that the relation, it's a relationship builder, correct? Of course. People get to see your face. You did something special just for them. So there you go. BombBomb.com. And nothing explodes, nothing blows up, but it's something to look at. Got it. I like it. We are here with the host with the most, Michael Hoffman. How are you, you, my, my friend? friend? Oh, that would be you, my friend. I'm the old host as well. Well, so you, this is about the most impactful, most meaningful segment when you were sitting here in the big chair that I have the honor to fill right now. Tell us about your favorite, most impactful interview. And what a hard question, too, by the way. Uh, uh, but what a great question, because it really allowed me to go back and uh, just revisit. Uh, it's a very difficult question to answer, obviously. But uh, if I had to narrow it down, I would say my favorite segments were the were the the big movement sections. <laughs> it was the ones that were, where people created something that went way past themselves and impacted the world. Uh, I remember the red paperclip guy, uh, Kyle McDonald, who uh, took a paperclip and traded it up to a house that he ended up giving away and really started uh, the whole movement of connection through the internet. Uh, absolutely amazing. But my ultimate favorite story, I have to say, is Anne Malum. Uh, she started a program called Back on My Feet that is still going on. Matter of fact, she's not even involved in it anymore, but it's still going on and impacting people around the world. And basically, in a nutshell, 2007, in Philly, uh, she was a runner and she was getting over something personally. So she would she would find that, that, that peace in running. And every morning at 5 a.m., she passed a group of homeless people. And she said hello. And she connected with them personally. And something clicked. She went to a homeless shelter that, that fed the people in the local area, and she asked them for permission to invite them to run with her. She didn't know how it worked. And she invited them to run, and they said yes. And that started purpose. It started connection. It started giving people a sense that they had something to do, and it grew. It grew into a movement, and she has changed lives, that woman. Awesome. So let's listen in. If you want an example of creating a business based on giving back and helping humanity, then meet Ann Malum. 
Anne was the creator and founder and CEO of a nonprofit organization called Back on My Feet, which used her love and discipline of running to help the homeless community find strength and literally get their lives back on their feet. She has now set her sights on a for-profit organization called Solid Core, which helps people transform their lives physically through one of the most effective approaches to physical fitness that you'll be hearing a lot about. But I wanted to have Anne share with us not only her story, but what she's learned in creating two organizations with purpose. Tell us a little bit of background on Back on My Feet. You know, what was the concept uh, and how did it get started and mm-hmm. where's it going now? I was in Philadelphia. I was uh, 26 years old and, you know, looking for something bigger in my life. And, you know, running had always been a, a staple in everything that I did for the last 10 years. And if there was anything that I knew, it was that I was a runner. And I was running by this homeless shelter that I had passed by hundreds of times literally before mm. But in May of 2007, there was a connection that was made with a group of guys hanging out outside that shelter um, that grew over the, over the next couple of weeks. And, and I realized that, you know, I shouldn't just be running by them. I should actually start a running club. And, you know, running doesn't discriminate. doesn't matter if you are white, black, rich or poor, homeless or not. I, I thought it could make these guys feel as, as good as it made me feel. So I convinced the director of that shelter to let me start a running club and... You know, there was nine very charismatic, jovial, awesome guys who said yes. And, you know, I think about that, too. If there was a different group of guys, would it have been the same experience? And all of these pieces were just kind of falling into place that helped this idea seem so possible and so real that it was and so viable. And for everybody else, you know, it didn't. Right here I am thinking this is the beginning of an organization that can actually help people change the direction of their life and we can add real programming in and and this is going to work and i think if you know if there was a different nine guys there that didn't respond the same way you know maybe i would have felt differently so again there's lots of these pieces in the beginning that i just don't think i was clever enough to plan and they just happened and i was sort of being directed and i really feel like it wasn't much of a choice for me it was just like i kind of know what i'm supposed to do it's not an obvious connection to what you're doing and and actually the question do people actually do the homeless actually get up and run with you? Yeah, you know, the contradiction of homelessness and running, uh, you know, is what gave the initial idea a lot of attention right away. I mean, it was like a media frenzy, right? People had to actually come and see this. And and once they came and saw and talked to these guys and saw the charisma that they had and, you know, the character and learned some of their stories, you know, all of a sudden it was like the city of Philadelphia rooting for these nine guys and wanting to see what was going to happen with them. And again, that reaction helps us, right? Like the shock value of initial reaction from people actually works in our favor because it it gets people's ear, gets their attention, and it's been beneficial. Now, this has been going on for quite a while. You guys started this in 2007? Yeah, 2007 was the, you know, the running club, right? And that was the beginning. And then in 2008, January, is when I made official 501c3, which we didn't get till August, right? So almost a year later, the entity was formed. It takes, you know, it's a big effort to form an actual nonprofit entity. You've got to do a lot of legal work, which we got done pro bono, obviously, but it's bylaws, it's board members, it's, you know, all of these things to be recognized as an official 501c3, so. By the way, if anybody uh, is listening to this and wants to really get involved, this is a great organization to get involved and go to backonmyfeet.org 
and uh, and play coming to a city near you. I hope this thing covers the country because it really is changing lives. Now, can you wax on for a minute or two on just the business aspect? I mean, you went, you you built two very large organizations. I know Solid Core is on its way. Talk to us a little bit about business as far as what are some of the biggest things that you've learned in putting together this very successful nonprofit just on taking a vision and a passion and turning it into a business. Anything? Well, I think I think that it comes down to people, right? And I I can be really convincing, and I believed in this uh, as as you know it wasn't a crazy idea to me that didn't sound right. I could I could sit in front of anybody and convince them that this was going to work and was working. And if somebody is sitting across the table and doubting themselves or coming across like they're unsure um, or that you can you know change their mind about something, it just becomes a little less believable. And I think you know my dad gave me really good advice, and it was when I was a kid. There's a cute story that goes along with this, but we were, it was North Dakota and it was February and uh, we were young. I mean, it was like we were eight, nine and 10 and we were so bored, right? There was nothing to do. And my dad was sick of us whining and told us to go get our swimsuits. And, you know, we're like, what, you know, where are we going swimming and whatever else? And my dad pulls up to a hotel and, you know, we thought, you know, this is great. We're we're getting a hotel room. And my dad says, no, we're going to go swimming. And we're like, well, how does that work? <laughs> and my dad just said, you know, walk in like you own the place. And, you know, so we walk in there and my, you know, whatever dad just asks, you know, where's the pool? And when you ask something without hesitation and people just tend to give you the answer. And I think that a lot of my approach, because I, I, I don't, you know, I didn't have any experience in running a nonprofit. I didn't have any experience running a company. You just have to know that your your life and reputation depends on you making this work. And if you believe you're doing the right thing and that you you can help these people and you can build something that's going to be beneficial, you you have to exude that. So I think that's the first thing, and that can't be underestimated, right? The char- charisma and passion of the person leading the charge has to be palpable. It has to be so you know again that anybody would you could convince anybody that the sky is green, right? Like that's kind of the level I think you need to be at if you're going to take a big leap. And secondly, you have to know what you're not good at. You know, I didn't uh, I didn't know that right away with back on my feet. I thought like I can do everything. You know, I can figure all of this out and I'll and I'll do it and and I know what's best and I know that my way is the right way because this thing is mine and I built it and you know, you obviously fall on your face a couple times and realize that somebody else's opinion was was probably right and yours was wrong and so learning again what you're good at understanding what you're good at and what your value is to what you're building and knowing what your value isn't and then pulling those people in to to help you is really important Here's what I just heard from you. Really understanding yourself, what your value is and what your value isn't, and then surround yourself with those people. Same thing as I don't know everything. That is so true, especially in the speaking business. This is a lonely business. You know, not everybody has 80 people that work for us. We have one, maybe a, maybe a person, maybe most of it's ourselves. But to really understand what you do and don't do and, and fill in the nooks and crannies. I really like the story about act like you own the place. What a way to change a child's life. Yeah. Good job, and, Dad. You know, it can, <laughs> you know, if you can make someone believe like they can fly or that they can do something, sure. and if you can do that, that's when people get on board with your ideas and on board with helping you, because that's what you kind of exude is possibility. Well, wax on a little bit about what's next for the woman who creates with purpose. What? Tell me about Solid Core. What is Solid Core? Where are you going with it? 
Yeah, so Solid Core is a uh, health and fitness community that offers the best workout possible that helps people become the strongest version of themselves. And it's all based in studios. So there are currently four studios. Uh, by the time this runs, there'll be five studios in D.C. with two more opening in the next two months following that. And then uh, there's one in Minneapolis. So we've only been open for less than a year and there's been a ton of growth already. And um, my plan is to take the next year and continue to build the foundation of this company, make it extremely strong. We have a great infrastructure already in place with the amazing team of, of women who helped me run this thing. And I am not sure what's going to happen after Solid Core. You know, I'm not I'm not into five-year strategic plans. It's not how I operate any aspect of my life at all. I just stay true to my heart and my gut and my brain, and I make decisions based on how those things work together. So I know that I'll be doing this for the next, you know, 14 months, and then I don't know what's going to come along my way between now and then. And if something sparks my interest, I'll pivot and change direction. <laughs> you allow that to happen. Yeah. And, a, yeah. You have quite a celebrity list of people that use you, specifically one of the highest women in the country, I hear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about, but I can confirm that. Uh, Mrs. Obama does work out at the studio very consistently. She's there two to three days a week and, you know, she gets motivated and we can encourage her just like any other client does. And I think that's why she keeps coming back is because she's not treated differently. She gets, you know, the real authentic raw sense of the community like everybody else does and there's no special you know class that only she gets she's working out with you know her friends that she brings in and we bring in people and it's a lot of teamwork and everybody's sweating and suffering together Fantastic. Thank you, Anne, for your time. I just really encourage everyone to follow this lead of being a person that creates with purpose because it just mushrooms. I really hang on to what you said that n nobody will rise to the level of you. That's what I heard you talking about is you bring the passion, you bring the idea, you bring the start. Who knows where it's going? Let's just start it. But you're not going to have a lot of people surrounding you going, come on, Anne, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> no one rises past you. So, you know, ignite the passion, open up your eyes, connect with people and do something with purpose. So, Michael, that was an amazing interview. And oh, my gosh, what a great story. Other final takeaways, tips, things that we can learn from Anne's story and your interview with her. Well, the reason why I like those stories is because a, a good interview makes you reflect about you. And it makes me go, what am I doing? Am I just out to make a buck? Am I just out to have another product? Am I just out to, to make somebody else buy something? Or am I really trying to change things? Am I really trying to have an impact on the world? And that's why I love those interviews, because it, 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 it helps me say, what about you, Michael? What joy are you bringing? What movement are you bringing? What are you, what are you doing to people to help them become better? Our, our world gets dark. I say this a lot. Our world feels dark sometimes. And the darkness is nothing. It It's nothing. It's not tangible. All darkness is is the absence of something. It's the absence of light. And in all the craziness of this world, we just need more light. So move on, people. Do something. Do something and create more light. That's what I get out of that. Something bigger than ourselves. Bigger than ourselves. And believe me, you have the ability to impact more than yourself. So think about it. Do it and let it go. And let's, let's get this crazy world. This is Jarrett Bro. You're listening to Voices of Experience. Facebook, 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 Facebook. We're on it all day long. But I'm guessing... 
You've never really learned how to use Facebook to market your speaking-driven business. Victoria Griggs to the rescue. So now we're on Facebook and we're thinking about marketing our speaker, author, consultant, coach business using Facebook, using our page, using our profile, maybe getting into ads. What should we be thinking about and what are some mistakes when we start going down the wrong path with this? You know, and that's a great question because what I find is that people, when they get started, they know that Facebook is a great way to connect. And they're used to connecting with friends and family. And the way they do that is typically with a personal profile. When you log, you know, when you start in Facebook, you create a page and you start posting and, you know, it gets the reputation of being all about what you had for breakfast and puppies and babies and things. But, you know, the when you kind of turn them with it with a business bent to it people often just start using their same page because they already have an audience there now i think the first thing to do is to be sure that you're really separating personal and business now not to say that you have to be staunch and only talk business things on your business page but you do need to create a business page a business page is separate from a personal page so i think that's number one the second thing that i think people do particularly authors, speakers, is that they'll start to develop maybe a product or they uh, release a book and they start to create a different page because they see some of the big guys in the industry where they have a book page. But what that means is that now you have fragmented presence on Facebook. So you have a little bit of an audience here, a little bit over there, and it's really hard to build your brand. So, you know, Let's say you know, you've gone beyond, you realize you don't need a personal page, you need a business page. Create what is called in Facebook a public figure page and have one. Don't have different pages for different books or products. Focus everything on your public figure page and building your brand. Lastly, I would say the third thing is really when you do start to say, okay, you know what, I want to grow beyond or I want to get more exposure within Facebook, people often fall back on something called boosted posts. A boosted post, Facebook makes, is really a way to create an ad via a wizard that Facebook makes it really easy. You can just press a button and you boost a post. What that really does in the background, and many people don't realize this, is it does create an ad, but it's ad that's pretty crippled. You know, most of the, the juice, the real power of Facebook ads, you, you don't really leverage when you use a boosted post. Typically, your post is boosted to other people on the page. So here's a typical scenario. I start a business page. Uh, I don't like the fact that I start it and I have zero likes. So I start reaching out and to all my friends and family and asking them, hey, like my page, I just got this page, like my page. But most people, a, you know, our friends and family are not the target audience for our products or our services. So you end up building an audience of people who are, um, a page audience of people who are not your target customers. When you boost a post, you're actually paying to, for more of your page fans to see it. So you're now paying to get your message in front of people who are not your target audience. And that, that's a big, a big hole that I see people fall into and they get frustrated and they go, oh, Facebook marketing doesn't work. But that's because two things. One is they've built a page of people who are not their audience and two, boosted posts, although it's a step in the right direction, is not really the most powerful way to market on Facebook by a long shot. So that brings us to the most powerful way to market on Facebook, which I'm guessing is you got to pay. And so you've been very, very helpful to me with this. Let's talk about kind of Facebook advertising 101. What should we be doing? Because either either it's a great low cost way to get leads or it's a fantastic way to waste thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of dollars. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, the I think that what 
is hard for people to understand is that most of the success of a Facebook campaign actually happens outside of Facebook. Because an ad is really only a way to get attention for something that you've put in place already, a sales process, or in you know, lingo, a marketing funnel, which is just a fancy way of saying a series of steps that you take people through to engage with you and eventually buy your product. So really, when you're thinking about advertising on Facebook, it's counterintuitive, but you start at the far end of the funnel. So first of all, you say, what is it that I'm marketing? You know, what is it that I actually want to, to be able to sell in the end? Now, I recommend when you market on Facebook, you are selling something in the end, because you can't have a return on investment if no one is making an investment at the end. So think about what is it that I want to sell, and then ask what is a natural progression to get people to step by step to sell that. For instance, if you're selling a high ticket item, if it's a membership course or group coaching program, something where you know you really need to talk to someone, they need to have a connection with you, your goal is to get someone on the phone. Well, that's a valuable asset, someone's time. As it is for you, it is for them. So you need to say, what is the best way to get someone on the phone? Well, they need to get to know me a little bit. So a very common way to do that is to offer some type of free training or webinar. And now, you, as you can see, we're working our way backwards and really creating a sales process from, with the end in mind. Now, with you have your webinar, well, do you have to get people on, on it? How are we going to do that? So now is where, at the very last piece, you come to Facebook ads. How do we get people to know that we have a webinar coming up and you're grabbing attention? That's where the ads come into play. But all of that, if that's not laid out, is actually your ads are useless. So once you get the marketing funnel, really is um, taking a look and planning it, given the price of your product and average conversion rates, which your marketing person can help you with, average conversion rates at each step. So you plan everything out on paper so you're not testing Facebook without uh, key performance indicators going into it. You know, you're treating it like a real marketing campaign. So I think that's the first one, is really planning your funnel and making sure that everything off of Facebook is in place. Lastly, you do the ads. Now, I would say that's number one that we've just walked through. That whole thing was really just talking about plan your promotion. Facebook ads are no different from any other. Plan your promotion. The second is now that you've planned it, now you need to figure out who are the right people. Now, we already talked about it's not your friends and family that are like your business page, but there are certain characteristics that you probably know about in your business of your ideal audience. Facebook has the most amazing targeting that any platform, any self-service ad platform has, which is why I've built my whole business around it and others have done the same, is because I saw that this way of targeting was the best way of targeting for any type of outreach. And when you're building a business, you really do want to think about dollars in and dollars out. So that's why I like paid advertising versus any kind of organic outreach or non-paid outreach for a business is because you can actually plan dollars in, dollars out. And with Facebook and their, tar their rich targeting, um, you know, you can contact homeowners with certain home value and a certain, they make a certain amount per year. Um, a, lot of, a lot of data that you wouldn't think Facebook has is available in the targeting platform. It's absolutely amazing. So it's really scary, right? I mean, we're talking about they know all kinds of things about demographics, psychographics, behavior, um, uh, you know, what what you buy, where you live, what what the price of your house is, how much oh. you spend on your credit cards. I mean, you could target this to pretty much people that like driving pink Priuses <laughs> at three o'clock on Tuesday afternoons. It is just about, you know, my favorite thing I saw in the ads, we 
manager is actually you can target people who like salty snacks. You know, you're like, hmm, those are my people. Those, those yeah, are my exactly, people. That's my audience. So, but the reason that they have this is it's mostly actually they partner with the three largest data providers outside of Facebook. So all the places that these big companies go to and get these lists of people that have your, you know, what do you buy from catalogs? What websites do you search? You're just, by being alive, you're generating data. Three huge data providers capture all of this. And guess what? They partner with Facebook and they make that data available to you to target. And it's really a democratization of outreach that has not been possible before Facebook. It was really only available to the big brands before this. No other ad platform has this. So I'm buying saltysnackspeaker.com <laughs> right now. It's, gonna, it's you, mine, there, guys. People Sorry. Are there. People are there. You can't have it. So quick myth debunking. A lot of people think that LinkedIn is for business and Facebook is for B2C, or I'm, I'm never gonna reach a corporate decision maker on Facebook. True, false, what's going on? Absolutely false. And you know I do this for clients all the time, and the reason is because Facebook, it's what you're really trying to do is reach people, and people are on Facebook to the tune of about three billion plus as of right now, and over one billion active monthly users. The other thing is that I think the last stats I saw is people are spending an average of 20 minutes a day. So if you think about trying to reach anyone, you know, I think in-flight magazines or billboards or all these traditional ways that people were just scattered trying to get in front of people, you can get in front of your audience knowing they're going to be spending time there just because they happen to be looking at Facebook. It's People do not turn their business brain off, no matter what you think. If you see something that's really going to provide value to you and help you get ahead, which by the way is going to be better for your family and better for your personal life, then it's like, uh, chances are you're going to be clicking on that. So it is an absolute great platform for that. So I know that one of your clients specifically, because I, I hear this complaint all the time, uh, they say, well, you know, CEOs aren't on Facebook. I'm trying to reach CEOs. I'm trying to reach the big dogs. And one of your clients, their whole business is about reaching CEOs, yep. and they're having some good success with Facebook ads. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you can target by job title. You can target by CEOs. You can even target by size of business. So there's a lot of things that you can do on Facebook that people may not realize. That I'm telling you, the targeting platform is amazing. You just need to be sure you're working with someone who can navigate through it. You know, I do want to say one last thing is that because we talked about building the funnel, we also talked about targeting, I would be remiss to leave off the very important piece of the last one, which is tracking and optimization. So what you don't want to do is get in a situation where you say, I tried Facebook or I tried any kind of marketing and it didn't work. You want to be sure that you've not only know what your goals are at each stage, but you've put the tracking in place to get there so that week after week you can really look and monitor against your campaign. I tell you, most often, it's not the Facebook ads where the people are having bottlenecks. It's actually later in the process. So no matter what you do to fix, quote, fix your Facebook ad campaign, if your funnel is broken, it's never going to work. And I think because people don't put tracking in place throughout the funnel, then they get, you know, can, they can get frustrated thinking, quote, Facebook doesn't work. But in reality, it's something, it's, you know, any kind of online mechanism. It's not Facebook's issue. It's not LinkedIn's issue. It's not anything. It's the process you've put in place to convert a new person into a customer. So there's a lot of moving parts when people start to think about this. I think you've got a resource or a special gift for people to help them demystify some of this. I do, I do. So one of the things I always do when I start with clients is actually put things together on paper because if it's not gonna work on paper, it's not gonna work in real life. So let's de-risk, you know, help you to de-risk 
your ad campaign, and it really I put together a couple of really easy revenue models. They are Excel spreadsheets, you type in a number, and all the rest of things auto-calculate for you. Most people don't know the conversion percentages at each stage, so I give you kind of the industry standard conversion, like what should, what should be your conversion percentage for a free report or a webinar registration page, so that now when you run your Facebook campaigns, it becomes very clear to you where the issue is. So I'm happy to, to give that away. It's a, if you can type in a few numbers in a spreadsheet, everything else auto-calculates, and you can find that if I could get my website at victoriagriggs.com slash NSA. That's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-G-R-I-G-G-S, as in girl, dot uh, com slash NSA. Fabulous. Thank you, Victoria. That was super helpful. Thank you so much. I hope people take this information, go out and prosper using Facebook ads. And now, your NSA national president and mine, and overall good guy, Brian Walter, CSP, CPAE. We've all had those situations. You're giving a speech and something goes wrong. The introducer mangles our introduction, the fire alarm goes off, an audience member faints, the speaker in front of us goes 20 minutes over and eats into your time, or trashes your topic right before you go on, or the client announces bad financial results or cutbacks right before you go on. Bad things happen to good speakers. And we know as professionals, it's our job to cope and move on. But still, when things go wrong, it really irritates us. For me, my biggest frustration is AV. The show computer freezes and my visuals or video clips are suddenly not happening. Now, in those situations, I used to do what any self-respecting speaker would do. I'd break the audience up into pairs to discuss what they've learned so far or how to apply something I said. Meanwhile, I'd rush back to the AV booth to get them to reboot or troubleshoot. Usually about three minutes, we'd be back in business. But man, things like that or other things going wrong would frustrate me. At least they used to until I had an epiphany. Well, that might be overselling it. Let's just say I had a breakthrough after experiencing something going wrong during the act of a speaker magician. He was a friend of mine and I'd seen his act several times. So I knew what was supposed to happen. He was going through the opening of an elaborate card trick. He had a volunteer select a card and show it to her fellow volunteers. She then put it back in the deck and he cut the deck so that her card was in the center and handed it back to her. He asked her if she could shuffle. She said yes. Again, I'd seen this trick before. I knew she was supposed to shuffle it a bunch of times. Well, on her first shuffle, the deck exploded. I mean, cards everywhere. The magician looked totally flummoxed. Everyone in the audience could tell this was not supposed to happen. We could all hear on the mic the magician kind of mutter, I am so screwed, as he swept up all the cards from the floor into a pile. Now, I'm not a magician, but I figured the trick worked because of where the volunteer's card was placed in the deck, and it was probably a sequencing thing. Well, now that order was totally messed up. So the magician then tried to reassemble the deck, and after a few shuffles, he showed a card to the woman and said, is that your card? She said, no. He replied quickly, I didn't say it was your card, I was just asking if it was. He then shuffled some more and then showed her a different card and asked if that was it. No. Gah, he said. Everyone in the audience is thinking, oh man, this guy is hosed. Suddenly a strange look appears on his face. He pauses and goes, wait a minute. A bulge appears in his cheek. He then reaches in and pulls out a soggy folded card. He unfolds it and shows it to the volunteer. It is her card. She screams. The audience goes, whoa, and the applause is thunderous, truly triumphant. Afterwards, I talked to the magician and asked how worried he had been during the trick. He said, Brian, of course I'd already palmed the card before I gave her the deck. 
And when her shuffle exploded, that was a gift from the magic gods. I mean, things like that add tension and the audience is worried. How you deal with it is the key. When you overcome, the result is bigger than if nothing had gone wrong in the first place. Wow. That was a profound insight. I shared this with a mastermind group of speakers, and we all realized that, yes, a magic act is different than a speech, but we agreed the principle is the same. When something goes wrong in a speech, it's not a problem, it's a gift. It's our chance to go into overcoming mode and provide the audience with a different than expected, but even more satisfying outcome. Overcoming is great for us and great for the audience. Now, now, you shouldn't want things to go wrong. I mean, that's not professional. But all of us in our mastermind decided to change our mindset. We would look at the unexpected twist as an opportunity to be embraced, not avoided. Of course, a few months later, I was given the opportunity to test that idea. During a meeting, the show computer froze my slide deck. Now, rather than stop the meeting, I kept going, but I humorously described what was supposed to be happening on the screen. Something like, imagine a stock shot of a businesswoman with a light bulb going off overhead and her three subordinates, also stock shot models you've probably seen before, all looking at her like she is a genius. A flashing billboard sign appears with the statement, this could be you. At that point, you all gasp in recognition and spontaneously start taking notes. Well, the audience laughed and clapped, and I did this visual commentary kind of thing for what the next three slides would have been each time the audience is laughing and clapping. And finally, the AV team reboots and catches up to where I was. At that point, the audience kind of makes this funny disappointment, saying, oh, as if they preferred the manic visual descriptions to the original. Of course, doing that would have gotten old quickly, but the fast response overcoming ad libs created a new temporary experience for the audience that they knew had never been done before, and they liked it, and I like the challenge of providing it. Similar experiences have happened to most of us in our mastermind group, so we encourage you to share this new perception. Something going wrong is a gift from the speaking gods. Work with it. To wrap up, it's time for VOD, Voice of David. That's me sharing my thoughts to help you grow your business, market smarter, and speak more profitably. On this edition of VOD, it's not what you think it is, and it's bigger than you think it is. So think about that dream that you have, that secret project, that next book, that next pivot, in your speaking-driven business, that next shift that you want to make personally, professionally, with your topic, with your market, with your delivery modes, I would challenge you, are you thinking big enough? Yes? Well, what if we think bigger about what you're trying to do, the mark that you're trying to make in the world, the impact that you're trying to have with your clients and audiences. What if it were two times bigger, or four times bigger, or 10 times bigger? Sometimes you're not having success, not because you're thinking too big, but because you're thinking too small. I think one of the most deadly, unproductive, pieces of marketing and sales and business development advice is to start small. When you start small, the risk is that you stay small. So start big, start bigger than you think you need. Start huge. Second point, it's not what you think it is. 
As a matter of fact, it may be a whole lot more. It may be a movement. It may be a giant leap and not just the next step. My friend Scott Ginsburg likes to ask the provocative question, now that you have this, what does this make possible? What's the next step? What's the next iteration? What are the next three steps? What are the next pieces of evolution and revolution that your next big thing is going to make possible for you? If you start to marinate and percolate on these two questions, it's not what you think it is, and it's bigger than you think it is, the next quantum leap in your speaking-driven business may be just around the corner. Wow, we stuck the landing on another edition of Voices of Experience. I can't wait to see what you do with these ideas. Let's keep the conversation going on the NSA Facebook page. I can't wait to hear from you about how you're generating results with your ideas from VOE. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.